It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 281, The Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer. It's funny, this year my church, East Ridge Church in Issaquah, Washington, has been doing a sermon series on Exodus, and we ended up listening to uh, this Sunday's sermon. It was about the Ten Commandments. In Hebrew, they're called the Ten Words and the Law of the Old Testament, which was given to Moses, or better yet, all the Israelites at Mount Sinai. And as we go through Jesus' first sermon, we'll see how Jesus takes the laws deeper into the thoughts and actions of the heart. It's like Jesus is redefining uh, what it is, you know, the, the Old Testament law. But he's not just that. He's taking these, these complicated laws from Leviticus, the simple ones as the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments. But then he's taking the complicated ones of Leviticus um, and those even in Numbers and, and all the law of the Old Testament. And he's merging it into um, a heightened conscience, if you want to call it that. But, he, but he's putting it in, into our heart. He's putting it deeper into our soul. And he's, he's literally saying, I'm now going to put the law in your heart but I'm going to put it into your thoughts. I'm going to put it into your actions. I'm going to take it deeper because that's what Jesus does. He always goes straight for the heart. While the Jews thought their faith was about the laws, Jesus will be telling us it's all about the heart. And he continues by speaking through earthly things. Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt is a preservative, and especially used before the discovery of refrigeration. And without salt and preservation, many things would just be thrown out. What good are you if you lose your salt? Salt also has flavor. The message of the gospel brings out the best flavors of life, and the taste of life, and it preserves the world from sin and decay. So go, be salty. Be salty. This is what Jesus is saying. Or what good are you? Matthew 5.14 You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The city on the hill was Jerusalem in this time. Its whitewashed walls were a scene, and people marveled at them. It was a city on a hill. There is another reference here. Do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl? No. But what about Moses, who covered his face when the glory was too much? Jesus is saying, let your glory shine through you. Overwhelm those around you with my life. Let my light shine through you. Your good deeds will glorify God. Matthew 5.17 Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Here Jesus says he will fulfill the law, which can only been done through his sacrifice. It's right here. It's crazy. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. The fulfillment of the law. All the long rules of Leviticus and Deuteronomy are lengthy and hard to read like reading an old textbook. But Jesus would fulfill them perfectly. Then he makes this outlandish statement that we have that we have to be more righteous than the Pharisees. And this would have blown their mind, right? Because the religious people are religious. You know, the Pharisees are so religious. But little did they know that the Pharisees were corrupt and lifeless. They just put on a religious show with some exceptions, and this appeared so holy to everyone. The next group of teachings apply the heart, anger, adultery, divorce, lying, judgment, forgiveness. You'll see the thread of teaching. It's all about the heart. Jesus teaches... Jesus' teachings were all about the heart. He always went for the heart. Recognize here how Jesus speaks of anger and murder, but instead it's about unforgiveness. It's about reconciliation. Matthew 5.21 You have heard what is said to the people long ago. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders shall be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister Raka is answerable in the court, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you paid the last penny. There's a lot of implications here that Jesus cannot fully accept your repentance if you continue to hold offenses towards one another. Further, there's an adversary, a devil, that will come after you if you cannot forgive your neighbors and those who harm you. Peter or someone asked Jesus, you know, how many how many times I forgive my brother? And he says seven. No, no, seven times seven. Jesus is is making the point later on that that your forgiveness is a part of the Christian walk. You have to let it go. Matthew five twenty seven. You have heard what is said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. For if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. We can't fail to notice that lust starts with the eyes. And looking at a woman or anything lustfully, this is the beginning of the sin of lust. It starts with the eyes. Do what Joseph did and run from Potiphar's wife, the adulterous woman. Lust is not something you meet head on. Lust is something you run from. Rebuke it, turn the other way, and get away from lust. It is a spirit you want nothing of. Keep your eye gates clean so that you can see God. The, the, the reward is obvious. Jesus said earlier, the pure in heart will see God. If you're not pure in heart, you can't see God. If you're not pure in heart, well, your your eyes are corrupted because you've been looking at the wrong things, and then you can't see God. 
and it's hard for, harder for you to get answers to prayer. Matthew 5:33. Again, if you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no, and anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Don't swear. Watch your mouth. James speaks of the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18.21 sums it up well. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Matthew 5.38 You have heard that it is said that eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you or take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What I find super interesting here is that Leviticus, in many ways, contains the old law, old school law, right? Even going back to Hammurabi, it's almost like, a, in many ways, it's that eye for an eye. It is very, pretty much laid out. But Jesus is showing and redefining the ways of the new covenant here. He's showing us to forgive. He's showing us to surrender. He's showing us to be kind. He's showing us to, to be mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's something Jesus is teaching us here. Matthew five forty three. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward would you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the word perfect here is not perfect as we know it. Perfect here implies maturity. Be mature, therefore, as your heavenly Father is mature. Learn the ways of God and live in them. God's way is love. Learn love. We'll learn later this is the greatest commandment. Love is greater than all. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you that they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that the giving may be kept in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. God's way is righteousness and love. But if you want the attention of people, well, you'll get it. But if you want the attention of God, do it in private. Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they know that they will be heard because of their many words. 
Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Now we get to the Lord's Prayer, the greatest prayer in world history, and the most prayed prayer, most likely the most prayed prayer in world history, besides maybe, you know, God help me. Now let's let's end this episode with the, the Lord's Prayer and the power of it. I went to Catholic high school in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm not Catholic, but I went to the school. Yet we all prayed the Lord's Prayer every single morning before we started school. And I'm glad we did. And it was powerful and it provided a hedge of protection over over all the students. Even though most of us didn't know what we were praying, um, it was pretty amazing though that we prayed the Lord's Prayer every day. And I sure wish schools would pray again. Matthew 6, 9. This then is how you should pray. Note, this is what Jesus said. This is how you should pray. He didn't say you should pray this every day, but he did say this is how you should pray. So it's important to know how to pray like this. And if you want to pray this prayer every day, do it. That's fine. Uh, But over time, learn the principles of the Lord's Prayer, and you'll see even greater fruit as the prayer flows more from your heart every day. Uh, Matthew 6, 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, entire books have been written to go over the Lord's Prayer. And our Etsy store, Steadfast Gifts, carries about 15 Christian jewelry items from necklaces to bracelets and dog tags with the Lord's Prayer on it. It's the most famous prayer because it was given by Jesus himself. But let's go over the topics Jesus discussed. The first line, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father God is the one he prays to. But more importantly, holy be your name. God is holy. He is the one we worship. And whatever intro into kind of a prayer we need should be with, you know, thanksgiving or holiness and just recognizing the the power of God the the eminence of God the 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 supreme power of his being just be overwhelmed by him that's the first line the second line or the second the second principle your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven the implications here are crazy your kingdom come as God's kingdom the kingdom of heaven his heart, his love, and the kingdom of heaven and everything that comes with it. God's love, God's power, his peace, joy, healing, deliverance, grace, you name it. It's the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. The character of heaven on earth. This is what Jesus desires on earth as it is in heaven. That's amazing. Just think about heaven and what God wants earth to look like through you. All right, give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread is everything, every heavenly provision for today, including physical needs, but also spiritual needs, the fruits of the Spirit, learnings for today, and provision for everything required for today to be a victory for God in your life. Uh, Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. This is the SOP, the Standard Operating Procedure for Christian Life, forgiveness. We've covered forgiveness so many times. Unforgiveness is a prison, not for the person that hurts you, but for the the one who can't forgive. It's a, it's a prison we make upon ourselves of not forgiving a person. And the clarity of spiritual warfare is just 
obvious in the very final line. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This conclusion of Jesus' model prayer pleads with God to keep us from the devil's temptations and the, the, to deliver us from his snares. Isn't that an interesting conclusion to the prayer? Keep us from the devil and his tricks. In conclusion, it, it, if we take this prayer as a model, we start with adoration for God, and then we flow through to worship, welcoming God to intervene in our lives, and then we ask for provision, forgiveness, and deliverance from the devil's schemes. It's a Lord's Prayer. I mean, it's an amazing prayer. I mean, what do you expect? It's from Jesus. It covers one day, and with the mention of give us today our daily bread, there's implication. This is, this is like the perfect prayer for each day. Pray it every day until you find yourself understanding Jesus' approach to prayer for us and apply these principles to everyday living and prayer and to watch what God will do.